0: All right, good morning. If you'll go to Romans 6, please. Go to Romans 6, and I'll keep getting set up here. So in Romans 6, we've been observing that uh, baptism has meaning not only for the day of your baptism, but it has meaning for every day of your life, as well as the end of your life and the resurrection of the body. So let's quickly review some of that stuff. Romans 6. Again, Paul has to address the issue of Christians who believe like Voltaire, the French philosopher, who said, I live in the best of both worlds. I love to sin. God loves to forgive sin. I'm going to keep on sinning on purpose. That's not how a Christian lives. That's a misuse of God's grace and forgiveness. It's a misuse of, of your baptism. Because as Paul says, if you'll look at verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, I love to sin, God loves to forgive, so I'm going to keep on sinning. What's his answer? By no means. And in the Greek, that's a very strong negative. I'm not going to tell you what it says in the Greek, but just take my word for it. It is one of the strongest negatives that you can get in the Greek language. To translate into redneck, white trash, Nebraska talk, H-E, double hockey sticks, no. No. Okay? By no means, verse two, we died to sin. Now Paul's going to tell you where you died to sin in a moment. That's going to shock you. So don't keep on sinning on purpose so that grace may increase. Instead, you died to it. So he asked the question, how can we live in it, namely in sin, any longer? In other words, why do you purposely want to keep on sinning? That's silly. Now verse three, here's where Paul says where you died to sin. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? This isn't figurative language. This is real. This is exactly what happened when you were baptized. You were buried with Christ into His Good Friday death. So we were, verse 4 now, We were therefore buried with Him, namely Jesus, through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, Now notice what Paul says. You can live a different way. You can live a new life. Now in this context, new life means I'm going to fight against my sin. I'm going to live in and from my baptism into Christ's death by fighting against my sin and I'm not gonna use my body to purposely sin. Any questions about this? So baptism had meaning for the day you were baptized. God gave you his divine and saving name, Matthew 28, 19. So you who are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit have been given God's divine and saving name. His name's not a nothing. It saves. Do your concordance study, you know, when you can't sleep tonight or if you're bored today at home, do your concordance study and look up God's name in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's always hooked with salvation. Like, for example, in Acts, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And whose name is that? Jesus. And you're baptized into that name, Matthew 28, 19. You pick up what I'm throwing down here? So baptism had meaning for your day of your baptism. That's why the apostles can say like in Acts 2, and Jesus himself can say it in Mark 16. Peter can say it in 1 Peter 3, that baptism, I'm quoting 1 Peter 3 now, just as God saved, the verb is saved in 1 Peter 3, just as god saved noah and his family through the water, the flood water, because the ark floated on the water and god rescued his family and all the animals on the ark, peter then says baptism now saves you through the resurrection of jesus christ. okay. now, baptism has meaning for every day of your life. which means you are going to live in and from your baptism by fighting against your sin, fighting against the world and the temptations of the devil. so, to say it differently, if you purposely sin and say, it's okay, you are living outside of your baptism into Christ Jesus. And let's pick that up. Verse 5. If we've been united with him, namely Jesus, <coughs> like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his... This is, the, this is the final payoff of your baptism. So the day of your baptism has meaning, given God's divine and saving name. Your baptism has meaning and significance every day of your life as you repent of your sin, as you believe in Jesus for forgiveness and want to lead a holy life. And then finally, the the ultimate payoff of your baptism is being raised from the dead and being being given a resurrected body like Christ's. You picking this up? So then again, by way of review, keeping on with verse 6 now, for we know that our old self, that's our old sinful nature, was crucified with him, that's Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with. This is this daily search and destroy mission that we are constantly fighting against our sin. That we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. In other words, sin is not your Lord, Jesus is. So to live in and from your baptism means I'm not going to do as best I can with God's help. I am not going to purposely sin. I'm going to fight against it, okay? So you're, you're no longer a slave to sin because Jesus is the Lord of your life, not sin. Because anyone who has died, and where did you die according to Paul in Romans 6? You were buried with Christ into his death when you were baptized. So the big death has already taken place. Do you understand that? The big death in our life has already taken place. It happened when you were baptized. Okay. So you're free from sin now. It's not your Lord. Your Lord over it because Jesus is your Lord. You control, if I can talk like that. Like Joseph, remember Joseph? Well built and handsome, Genesis says, Moses says. He was the Brad Pitt of the Old Testament when Brad Pitt looked decent. Now he looks like an absolute fool. Have you seen him lately? Looks like an idiot. He needs needs to shave, he needs to take a shower, needs to work out. (laughs) But he was well, Joseph, well built and handsome. And remember, he's working for Potiphar, his Egyptian master, because remember, he was, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They sinned against him horribly. Well, Joseph, of course, is taking care of Potiphar's affairs. And, and Joseph is in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, except who? His wife. That is to say, he can't be with her because that would be committing what? Adultery. And you remember, she's a cougar. Wink, wink. She, she looks at Joseph and she wants him. She covets him, breaking the, the 10th commandment, right? And the first. Okay? So she covets Joseph and she day after day says, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And Joseph said what? What did he say? I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to do this because I will not do such an evil thing against the Lord. This is Joseph to use the language here of Romans and the New Testament. Joseph is living in and from his what? If I can talk like this. His baptism. Now I guarantee you I'm making a general statement here. But I think it's safe to say an uh, unbeliever or a Christian young man who's well-built and handsome, if, he is, if he's offered the opportunity to take a woman to bed today in America, no questions asked, he takes her to bed. No questions asked. And if anybody questions that, they're the, they're the criminal. Like Pastor Kuhlman, he's the criminal when he says, I don't give you permission to do that. But you understand my point? Joseph fought against this temptation and this sin, you see. Any questions about this? Now, when you, when you give in and you fall into sin, name the sin, then what do you do? Properly living in and from your bath, You repent of your sin. You ask Jesus for forgiveness. And you will now want, as a Christian, to live according to whose word? God's, not yours. You don't say, yeah, but everybody else is doing it. No, God has the say-so. Make sense? And that's why Paul in Romans 6 continues, He says, don't use the members of your body as instruments for unrighteousness and sin, but rather use the members of your body to glorify God. And that's where we left off, okay? And now, were there any questions about last week where I was talking, I I said one of the greatest tragedies in Lutheranism is that we have lost this biblical teaching of what it means to live in and from our baptism through daily repentance, forgiveness, and holy living. So, any questions about that? because I, I dropped a bomb last week, because, you know, Lutheranism, at the time of the Reformation, as I tried to teach you last week, and it's in the hymnal, page 292, Lutheranism or the Reformation didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so Lutheran said, yes, there are three ways that you can make confession. And I'll see if, oh, I do have a marker here. And the first two are commanded by God in the Bible. So we are to confess our sins to God and if you ain't doing that, we need to talk. And you can do that anywhere, anytime, any place. This is mandated by Scripture. God wants you to tell the truth about yourself, that you're a sinner, and He wants you to ask forgiveness for Jesus' sake. That's mandated by the Lord. You confess your sins to who? God. Any questions about that? Read the Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 6, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Any questions about that? So, I'll just put the Psalms here as one example. Okay? The second biblically mandated way that we confess our sins is to one another. And an example of that is the Epistle of James, where he says, Confess your sins to one another. And when you, so for example, Brian, if you sin against uh, Tracy, you know, and she calls you on it, And you say, you know, you're right, Tracy. You know, they're related if you don't know, okay? Um, and, And you say, yeah, that's right, Tracy. I shouldn't have said that to you. I know it hurt you. I'm very sorry. Will you forgive me, Tracy? And Tracy says, yeah, Brian, I forgive you. Now, when Tracy speaks that word of forgiveness, it isn't just Tracy who's talking to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is using her mouth to deliver his forgiveness that he won on the cross for you. This is mandated. So we are to confess our sins to God anywhere, anytime, any place, fully expecting and, and asking God to forgive us for Jesus' sake. Got to do that. Got to. Otherwise we need to talk. Okay? And the other thing, if you're not doing this with one another, this doesn't happen in families. Grudges are held in families. A family member sins against another family member and then they hold grudges. And then they don't get along for the rest of their life and it's tragic. Or just simply members of a congregation who have, a, who have an argument about something. And they sin against each other. And they don't forgive each other. They won't confess and they won't forgive. It's no wonder that there's no love in congregations, right? But these are mandated. Okay. Any questions about this so far? Now there's a third way. And in each way, the key, whether you confess your sins to God anywhere, anytime, place, which would also include what place? Yeah, that's right, church. Holy smokes. Never exclude that anywhere, anytime, place. See, that's what Lutherans do. Lutherans say, I'll confess and ask for forgiveness anywhere, and that's correct. But then they won't do it at? <laughs> oh, leave it to Missouri Synod Lutherans. They do, yeah, no, I can say that. <clears throat> so the key to both of these, the confession is for the sake of what? Forgiveness, for Jesus' sake. Okay? Now, there's a third way that is not mandated in Scripture, but the Lutheran Reformation kept it. And it's called individual confession absolution. That is to say, pastors are available. So I'll just write it up here. We'll just say, IND means individual confession, and the pastor's there for you if you want it. And that's in the hymnal page 292. Now, you are not mandated by by the Bible to go to me and confess your sins. I want you to understand that. But the Lutheran Reformation kept this for one reason and one reason only. Why do you think? That if you have the desire and you want to hear the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake told to you categorically and audaciously, the pastor will speak it to you. He will tell you, you are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Now, that's your choice. If you want to come to the pastor individually, he'll say, you betcha, I'll tell you that. I'd be delighted to And what my point is, keep the distinction. I said it, but I'm going to say it again. Because if you run out of here today and you say that Pastor Kuhlman said, I've got to go to him to confess my sin. I didn't say that. I'm coming after you. Okay? I did not say that. But as I tried to use it, Kevin, our guest, we'll pick on Kevin. So Kevin, you're going to get picked on this morning. You'll never come back again as our guest. Um, He can handle it. So Kevin calls me up, says, Pastor, meet me at the church at 7 tonight. Why? Well, there's something that's bothering me. I want you to tell me I'm forgiven for Jesus' sake. Okay, see you there. And then we go to the hymnal, we use page 292, etc. The whole point was pastors are commanded by Jesus to forgive sins. So that's the distinction. Whereas you are not mandated by Jesus to go to a pastor to confess sins, but if you choose to, the pastor is mandated by Jesus to forgive you. Matthew 16, Matthew 18, John 20. Plus, Let's let's also keep this uh, forgive one another, the forgive one another, Ephesians 4, Colossians, etc. Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's that one another bit, right? Okay, so I wanted wanted to tie up that loose end. Now, somebody approached me after class last week, I got you covered, and... uh, it was Denny. He, he raised his hand and he came and talked to me after class. Now, I mentioned that the Lutheran Reformation kept individual confession absolution with the pastor. Why? For the sake of the absolution and the absolution only. Okay? Because that's the gospel. The absolution is the gospel. That's the good news that you're forgiven, right? And like I said, when Tracy forgave her brother, I said what? Jesus was using her as his mouth to give his forgiveness. So also with the pastor. So, when you forgive Liam when he sins against you two, Jesus is forgiving Liam through your mouth. And vice versa, when you sin against Liam and he forgives you, he's the mouth of the Lord. Okay, to speak that word of forgiveness. So, now where was I going with this? Um, I'm trying to remember what I've got too many things on my mind here. Yes? That's correct. And so the faith that prays, I've sinned, please forgive me. That faith also trusts in what? A divine promise in God's word that you are forgiven for Jesus' sake. So many people pray this all over the world. They pray this prayer every night. I thank you, my heavenly father, through Jesus Christ, your dear son, that you've graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I've done wrong and graciously keep me this night. That's an example of praying to God before you go to bed and asking him to forgive you. And as you pray that and ask God to forgive you, you are trusting what? An external word of God in the Bible that says you are forgiven for Christ. That's why people pray that way, right? Unbelievers don't pray that way. (laughs) They could care less. Christians pray like that. Does that make sense? Does that answer your concern? Now I forget where I was going. Is there anything else? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Go ahead, Denny, you speak. Now I remember. put a card up. Okay, yes. Correct, correct. Okay, so what Denny's referring to here is in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says that a, a person should examine themselves before they take communion. That, and that entails a number of things. Number one, are you a sinner? <laughs> no. Do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Do you believe what He promises to give you in the Lord's Supper? That, that's part of the, Now what happened here, based upon 1 Corinthians 11, let a man examine himself before you take communion. What the Lutheran Reformation did in keeping private confession and absolution is when someone would come to the pastor in the Lutheran Church, I'm talking in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, in Germany, Scandinavia, et cetera. When they would come for private confession and absolution, the pastor would hear their confession, he would absolve them, and at the same time, the pastor, while he's got them there, <laughs> pastors are always doing this, while, while he's got you there, or while you're there willingly, the pastor would ask this question. So, Denny, you come into communion this Sunday? And Denny would say, yep. And then the pastor would say, good, now what do you expect to receive when you come to the Lord's Supper this Sunday? And Denny would know the answer. He'd say, I expect to eat and drink the Lord's body and blood. And then the pastor would say, for what purpose? And Denny would say, for the forgiveness of my sins, just as Jesus says in Matthew 26, 1 Corinthians 11, etc., And and so my point is, is that the Reformation would use this opportunity when somebody was there with the pastor privately. He wouldn't let these opportunities go to waste and he would try to prepare them for proper reception of Holy Communion. Now, by the time these Germans and Scandinavians came to the United States, this practice was falling into disuse. It used to be in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, um, that before you came to communion, you had to announce before the pastor personally for yourself and yourself only not for your family so Denny you 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 would only announce for yourself and not for Janice she'd have to come usually that was done in private confession and absolution then it switched then it was just come saturday night to the pastor's study okay then it then it devolves if you will if I can talk like that it devolved into filling out cards like we have tonight well it, let me back this up then so whereas you couldn't announce for your family Denny it, then it devolved and then you could announce for you and your entire family, and then the pastor didn't have the opportunity to talk to Janice, didn't have an opportunity to talk to your children, okay? You spoke for the whole family. Then it evolved to a card, okay? Now I'll tell you how it was when I, when I first got to Faith Hebron, is that the elder would be at the door, the entryway, the foyer. And I don't know if they still do this at Faith Hebron, I don't know, but this is the way it was when I served there. The elder, he would be there with a podium, in the foyer, and he'd have the membership list. And as people walked in, he'd say, are you taking communion today? Yes, check the name off. Now, if you're picking up what's going on here, is there's no pastoral care going on. Okay, now does that answer what, what, that's just historical things, okay? Now, just to piggyback on this, there are people who come and visit Trinity, Right? And whether the Missouri Senate or not, I always ask them, now is it your intention to receive the Lord's Supper Day? And if they're not Missouri Senate Lutheran or if they're not members of this church, I'll say, why don't you refrain? Because we want to make sure that you eat and drink beneficially, right? Because you remember, it'd be the most unloving thing in the world for a pastor to give somebody the Lord's body and blood if they don't believe what Jesus says about it. Because Paul says that if you do not believe, if you eat and drink unworthily, this is 1 Corinthians 11, unworthy eating and drinking is to say this, I'll put it in a box, So Jesus, he took bread on the night he was betrayed, and what did he say about it? It is my body. Then he took a cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Okay. Now at Corinth, you had Christians at Corinth who said, all that you've got in the Lord's Supper is bread and wine, that's it. And Paul takes them to the Lord's words and says, no, no, he says, this is my body, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, and then Paul says that if, if you come to the Lord's Supper and you eat and drink unworthily, that is, if you only believe this, do you remember what Paul says? You sin against something. In other words, if you come to communion and you believe it's only this, you sin against something. Does he say you sin against bread and wine? What's he say? You sin against the body and blood of Jesus. So just a, I'm, I'm a this is a stream of consciousness kind of way of talking. You know, you know this is how, what you get when you have Kuhlman teach. But now I think you begin to understand it would be the most unloving thing to give communion to somebody who only believes this. And they might even be Missouri Synod Lutheran. I've had to tell Missouri Synod Lutherans, you need to refrain from coming to communion if you believe this. Because then if I give you I don't want you to sit against the body and blood of Jesus. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, that's why some of you are sick, that's why some of you are weak, and that's why some of you are dying. I don't want that to happen to anybody. (laughs) <laughs> Do you? Nope. But that was part of this pastoral care that was hooked with private confession and absolution. Yes, please. Like in Roman Catholicism, the absolution? Yes. Okay. So, I don't know how they can prove that or not prove it, but that's what the priest would say is that, you know, penance and it's already been, it's already been catechized that I can't sin anymore after. After you said, say, ask him out of her, or whatever, don't send no more. Yes, now you've picked up on a very important difference between the Lutheran teaching on this and the Roman Catholic. So if I've heard you correctly, correct me if I have not. But what I hear Mike saying is the Roman Catholic... Te- you grew up Roman Catholic, didn't you? Maybe, yeah. yeah, right. Okay, so you know what you're talking about. Okay, so in the Roman Catholic scheme of things, if a person would come to private confession absolution, sin's forgiven because they're sorry. Forget- because they're sorry, not necessarily for Jesus' sake. That's a huge problem. Um, but you're worthy in the Roman Catholic scheme when you are sinless. So you can, come, you're a word, you can come to communion being a worthy communicant if you don't sin. That was your point, right? Okay. Now, again, to repeat, worthiness in Roman Catholicism means you, you stay sinless. But if you sin, then you're not worthy to take communion. And then you're going to have to go back to private confession and use the sacrament of penance. Now, what's the, what's the Lutheran answer? What, what does it mean to be worthy to come and receive the Lord's body and blood? Believe what Jesus says about it. And it's for the forgiveness of your sin. So if you believe what Jesus says about the Lord's Supper, you're going to get hooked with a congregation that believes that, right? And so what makes you worthy to take? You believe that Jesus gives this for the forgiveness of your sins. And that backspin means that you're a, you're not sinless. <laughs> My worthiness isn't because I haven't sinned. My worthiness is that I trust the Lord and his word. Does that make sense? That's, the, that's a significant difference. So to repeat again, worthiness, generally speaking in Rome, means I'm I'm sinless. Worthiness in the Bible is you trust the word of God. So is Ron Peters worthy to take communion today? Yes, because he believes what Jesus says about it. And he's hooked himself with the congregation that teaches it. That's what makes you worthy. What makes you unworthy is to say, ain't no body, ain't no blood, no forgiveness. Uh Uh-uh. That's unworthiness because you're not trusting the Lord's word. There's another question. Yes. You uh, exactly. Exactly. So in the hymnal you have prayers that you can pray before you take communion. There's prayers that you can pray after you take communion. It, it's, and it's a great thing. It's absolutely wonderful. Because it, 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 in the prayers, you're confessing what the Bible teaches. <laughs> you know, God speaks, we listen. He speaks to us in His Word. And then we pray back to Him what He says to us. That's prayer, by the way. You understand that, don't you? Prayer is God speaks in His Word, you listen to His Word, and then you say back to Him, that's prayer. Or praise. Or thanksgiving. All hooked together. First Timothy 2. Prayers, supplications, thanksgivings, et cetera. Is that what you wanted to say? Yeah, I didn't know how it just, like you said, it devolved into going, like Danny was talking about on Saturday. Oh, okay, I see. So then is that how they then say, oh, we'll put these prayers in the hymnal? No, I, I would put the best construction on the prayers in the hymnal. That's that's an aid to help you pray what God's Word says. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is is, let's back this up and then we'll move on um my practice and is this i now you elders who used to be elders who if you're elders here i remember when i first got here at trinity it was the elders who spoke to visitors and talked about communion with visitors and right away i said no that's not your job that's mine i'll talk to the visitors and i'm gonna i'm gonna speak for the board of elders i think at that time they all went Whew. okay um, so my practice is, is whether you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran or not, I'll ask, what do you expect to receive? And if it's just bread and wine, then I'll say, really? Yeah, it's just bread and wine, Pastor. Okay, well, I, I'm gonna ask you to refrain. Even if you're Missouri Synod Lutheran, let's try and talk about this. Usually this happens like two minutes before the service, and that's certainly not the opportunity to have the, the discussion that needs to be had. Okay? Now, final, final thing on this, this is, this is high pastoral care. I don't mean marijuana high when I say that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is loving pastoral care so that people receive the body and blood of Jesus in the way that it's meant to be received for their benefit, you see. That, so we're not saying, so let's say that a Methodist comes to church today and wants to take communion. Now, if they believe what, what the Bible says about communion, I'll say, all right, then you need to get hooked with this congregation or another congregation that believes this, okay? And if they're willing to do that, I'm willing to work with them, okay? But if not, then I'm not going to say, you're going to have to refrain. I don't want you to sin against the body and blood of Jesus, that kind of thing. It's high, loving care. But people misunderstand that, and what do they think? So you're saying I'm not a Christian. No, I didn't say that. Didn't say that. But that's usually what people, they understand it that way. And that's because we just don't have the opportunity to talk. By the way, I said I, I have to say this one more. So what would you think if you found out that Pastor Kuhlman, for the last five years, on Saturday nights, has been attending Mass at St. Pat's in Manly and taking communion there, and then every Sunday here, he gives communion here and takes communion here. What would you say if you found out that I've been doing that for the last five years? What would be your question? I'll tell you what your question would be. Are you Roman Catholic now, Reverend? See, what you're saying, you're you're giving another biblical way of talking when you ask the question, so are you Roman Catholic now? My point is is that where you take communion, that's your statement of faith. That's your church. Now, it would be a contradiction for me to do both. I can't go to a Roman Catholic Mass and take communion and then come here and take communion because we don't believe the same thing on this. So I'm giving a contradictory confession. We don't do that as Christians. I believe that Roman Catholics are Christians. But I don't take Roman Catholic Mass because we disagree on that point. But I'm not saying they're not Christian. You see that distinction? So I don't go to the Roman Catholic Mass because I don't believe that in the Mass. Well, I don't believe that communion is this. I'm going to say this again. Again, Roman Catholics are Christians. Okay, they're Trinitarian Christians. They believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus is true God and true man. Okay, they're Christians. But when it comes to communion, I'm not going to go to the Mass because they say that the Mass is what? Primarily, we're offering the body and blood of Jesus to God the Father to atone for the sins of the living and the dead. That is why, brothers and sisters, the ceremony at a Roman Catholic Mass is the way it is. The ceremony, pretend I'm the Roman Catholic priest, whether it's a freestanding altar or an altar hooked with the wall. I'll pretend that you've got an altar hooked to the wall like here at Trinity. This is how the priest would do it, generally speaking. The bell rings when he does this with the, the bread, and then when he elevates the chalice, the bell rings. You understand what's going on there, don't you? What does that ceremony confess? It confesses that you together with the priest are offering the body and blood of Jesus to God the Father for what purpose? To atone for sins. For those who are alive and those who are dead in purgatory. Now you tell me, where did Jesus say that? Did he ever say that? But notice the direction is from us to the Father and we're offering a sacrifice that atones I'm here to tell you, see this is very troublesome because you know that this is what atones for sin. Not the Mass. So that's a huge problem, right? That's why I don't, that's why I don't go to Mass. I don't believe that. Scripture, did, did, did Jesus say in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and as Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 11, what does Jesus say? He says, take and eat. What are you supposed to do with the body of Christ? Eat it. What's Jesus say? Take and drink it, all of you. What he's supposed to do with the blood of Christ? Drink it. Did Jesus say, I want you to take my body, I want you to take my blood, and I want you to offer it to my Father to atone for sins? He doesn't say that. See, this, I'm doing a lot of things here with you, and I hope you're, the spaghetti's kind of sticking a little bit on the wall. I'm throwing a lot of spaghetti on the wall. Some sticks, some don't. But you understand? That's why, so if you're, if you're, if you're a family member, and you attend a funeral mass or a wedding mass, we as Lutherans will not take communion there because we don't believe that. Are we saying they're not Christian? No, but we just simply don't believe that, so we're not going to take part in it. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Please. This is fun. I hope this is fun for you. As you know, my family is very Catholic. Yes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you don't take communion. But I struggle with what prayers are okay to say and what prayers are not, because Catholics often don't do their rosary and say, Correct. Don't do thing, so I don't participate in that, because as Lutherans we don't believe it, like, we still get the word of God, so yep. yep. Like, what prayers are okay what prayers are not okay? So Julie's Julie's question is this. Okay yeah, 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 Well <laughs> that By the way, I'm going to try and have fun with this. So Julie's question is... When, when she goes home and they visit her folks, and they're still they're Roman Catholics, they're very conservative Roman Catholics, and they go to the service with them, so you don't take communion. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what you would do. Now, her question is, so what prayer should we give our amen to? Well, the ones to Mary you're not going to. The ones to the saints you're not going to give your amen to. And any prayer that would violate the Word of God or is contradictory to the Word of God, you won't give your amen to. And that depends on how the priest, because you know, some priests pray faithfully, some don't. And it's a mix, sometimes, of both. So you have to be discerning. This is why Bible study and studying the Bible is so important. So you can make these discerning decisions on, on the spot, you see. Okay? So I can speak for my wife and I. When we've, when we've gone to her, her grandmother and mother, were faithful Roman Catholics. We, did, we went to the rosaries. We did not give our amen to the prayers at the rosaries. We simply would not. Because that's false teaching. Okay? So Now, that even includes going to a Lutheran church, by the way. You just assume that the pastor's always going to... Seriously, you need to pay attention to how the pastor prays and what he preaches. Because sometimes pastors, if they're, if they're not teaching faithfully and they don't pray, pray faithfully, you don't give your amen to that one either. And you're going to be like, uh, I, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Who are the, uh, the, the two that took Apollos out for lunch and served him hot coffee and chocolate pie and said, <coughs> Reverend, who was Priscilla and Aquila? Yeah, because Apollos was, he was teaching everything correctly except he was still baptizing according to John the Baptist's baptism okay and Priscilla and Aquila had to take him out for lunch that's what you're going to have to do sometimes with your, your own pastor <coughs> 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 reverend and straighten him out so I, to have fun with that you need to listen carefully to okay yes does that answer your question yeah so any, to marry we don't pray to mary she's not the mediator she's not the co-redeemer Jesus is the mediator, he's the redeemer. 1 Timothy 2, there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So that's, that's to answer your question directly. Yes? Correct, correct. So it's like, well, you, you do it this way, then you say the opposite, and then you do the opposite of that. Right, and this, this, is, where, this is where this offering, using, so the Lord's Supper, I'm, again, I'm speaking in general. With Roman Catholicism, the Lord's Supper has been taken from a gift to the Lord to us, to our atoning for sin. That's a huge problem. They use the right words, but they don't teach the words correctly. Now, again, do Roman Catholics believe that they eat and drink the Lord's body and blood if they're allowed to drink? They do. But that's not the most important thing for a Roman Catholic. I want you to understand this. We rejoice with the Roman Catholic Church that they still confess that in communion, the body and blood are there. Okay? We rejoice with that. But our disagreement is, is you're not to offer it to God the Father to atone for the sins of the living and dead. You're just simply to eat and drink it. So Roman Catholics, do they eat and drink? Yeah, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to offer the sacrifice of the mass, thus the ceremony is the way it is. Brad, would they, would they you take Some Roman Catholic parishes will. Some will. Yeah, it depends on the on the diocese. If the bishop is if the bishop is being faithfully Roman Catholic, he won't allow open communion. <laughs> there was another hand. Okay. What they yes. They, you know, right. Right. But then it was like their sermon was, well, we all we you know I'm in the church. So all Saints' days are coming. Yeah. So we really need to pray to get out of impact. And then private masses, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm not sure if I spelled relevant correctly. Um, Julie, to piggyback on what your question about, can we give our amen to all the prayers? Of course not. I've answered some of those. But you also, have, uh, if you have if you have Roman Catholics who are following the current Pope and what the current Pope teaches officially, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, he's a Marxist. If you don't know this, you need to learn. Pope Francis is a Marxist, and this is the gospel for for Pope Francis. So you can go to many websites. Roman Catholics are outraged, and they call him the Antichrist. They know what he teaches. He's a Marxist folks, okay? And so if you've got a diocese that follows this, the prayers are going to be, the prayers will be for this. social justice. Now that means this, this means being relevant. So for, for if, you're, if, you, if, you, if you've run with Pope Francis, you're OK with gay marriage. No joke. He's for it. He's for transgenderism, and he is for the overthrow of capitalism all over the world. Now, that's another issue. Uh, politics is messy. There's no perfect politics. You understand this, don't you? With capitalism, there's sin. You realize this greed, right? With capitalists, they're greedy, and they will oppress the poor. And I do that because I, you know, I live in a capitalist country. So th- the point is, is that there's no perfect political system. Okay? But the Pope does believe there is a perfect a perfect political system, and it's Marxism in some way, shape, or form, which means for him we have to eliminate capitalism and the West. The West has to be punished. So if you're hearing prayers that go along in a woke, transgender, gay agenda, anti-capitalism agenda, keep in mind I said that there is sins that goes with capitalism. I did, didn't I? And there is. But to say that there's a perfect solution for politics, and that's him, any prayers that would give that impression, you don't give your amen to. That expands it, doesn't it? Seriously, you can go, you can go to Omaha, you can go to the St. Louis, Chicago, all the big cities, and there are Roman Catholic parishes that fly the, the rainbow flag. Well, guess what? They're gonna be their whole agenda is this agenda right here, which is hooked with this agenda. Well, my goodness. Anything else? This is like stump the pastor Sunday kind of thing, you know, but the, it's okay, I guess, to ask. Seriously, is that, are there anything else you want to talk about on this? Yeah, so today is Reformation Sunday. So, is Reformation Sunday about we're Lutherans, we got it all right, and everybody else is, nye, nye, nye. no, it's not that. It's, it, seriously, Reformation Sunday is simply recognizing and giving thanks to God that he raised up certain people to try and get things corrected in the church, to live and teach according to God's word. This does not mean that, the, that Lutheranism is perfect, because it certainly isn't. What I mean by that is this. What I mean by that is you have, we have people who dress like this, or they might not dress like this. They may wear the torn jeans, right? and the sandals, and walk on a stage in Lutheranism, and they teach contrary to the Word of God. Okay? So the Reformation's not about, na 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 No, I'm, tell- I'm here to tell you, and boy, if you stay for church today, and you hear this sermon I'm going to preach, holy smokes. <clears throat> this is a day for us to repent. To repent. Big time. And then encourage all of us than to live according to God's word. That's what the Reformation's about. Repentance and faith and holy living. Yes? Do they still the holy water? Yes. Do. Correct. Do you want me to address that topic? Yes. Okay. Alright, so holy water. So for example, if you go to a Roman Catholic parish, um, there may be a container of water. It's called holy water. And Roman Catholics will put their fingers in it and as they come into church, they will make the sign of the cross with their fingers wet, Right? Now how do you, what how how is this water holy? How is anything holy? I also think like um, what Mike was saying the sinless before you can get communion. Yeah. There's they differentiate between venial and mortal sins. If you have mortal then you can't but everybody will have venial and then when you bless yourself with the holy water you going in when you that, so that. Yep. So Julie 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 has added to our discussion here, and rightfully so, that there is these distinctions that are made by Roman Catholic theologians with regard to sin. Now, I'd like you to show me from Scripture where these things are done. But uh, venial sins, these are ones that don't send you to hell. Like, I lied. or I took a dollar out of the offering this morning while it was being passed out. I, t- I took a dollar and put it in my pocket. That's a ven- It won't send you to hell. It's a sin, but it won't send you to hell. Venial and immortal. Mortal sins are sins that send you to hell. Now again, the Bible doesn't make these distinctions. If I, if I lied, that's as, just as mortal as abortion. Okay, All sin is sin, and all sin is deadly before God. So making these distinctions back to the worthiness. So what makes you worthy to take communion? Well, if I committed some of these after... I'm not worthy to take communion, but if I, if I told a lie, well, maybe, okay, we'll let you take communion. So you get all, the, I call it slice the baloney, and it gets, gets cut thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. <laughs> these, these unbiblical, you have to do this when you make unbiblical distinctions. You just have to, in any event. Well, how do you stay sinless during the service? Because isn't everybody like, man, I would carry Now, now that's a mortal sin here, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) So, now if you've been wondering why are these, why do they talk like this? This being worthy, and to be worthy means to be sinless. Why, why? See, there's, there's a fundamental theological presupposition behind all of this, and I want to, go, I want to do this and then we'll, we'll call it quits. That the medieval church starting around, oh I'd say 800, 900, then it comes to real big fruition about 1100 A.D. The medieval church was infected by pagan philosophy. Aristotle's philosophy, Plato's philosophy. It was around this time in world history that Aristotle's writings were rediscovered, if you will, by the West, through Muslims, by the way. Um, And so Aristotle was being reread and being translated into Latin so that Western Christians could read Aristotle. And so you had many theologians in the church from 800, 900, 1000, 1100, 1200, who were devouring Aristotle, devouring Plato, and importing their pagan Greek philosophy into Theology and it got imported into how one is saved. So, this is still true and it begins in the medieval church. This is why there was a Reformation. The medieval church, and still to this day, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is a process, it is a process, continuum, in which God is at the top of the ladder or the continuum and he is holy, he is perfect. We are at the bottom of this staircase or ladder or this continuum, this process of salvation, and we are not like God. We are unholy. We are sinners. Now, salvation then becomes based upon fundamental philosophical presupposition taught this. Like attracts like What's God like? He's holy. And the only thing that can be attracted to something that's holy is what? Something that's holy. Something that is like God, because like attracts like. If you're down here on the bottom of the continuum, you're not like God, are you? Because you've got sin, right? So salvation is a process from which you move from being in a sinful state to becoming like God, And so salvation for the medieval church and the Roman Catholic is you're not saved in this life. You can't be because you're not like God yet. Now the sacraments and the church is all built towards what? Helping you to become like God, namely sinless. You picking up what I'm throwing down here? That's why to be worthy means to be sinless. And I ain't that way in this life. So that's what the sacraments are all about, to try and help me to become like God. Now that's Plato. Then with Aristotle, I'm going to paraphrase one of his fundamental philosophical teachings, and I'm going to illustrate it this way. When Michael Jordan was born, was he, was he autom- just immediately dunking basketballs? He was not. Michael Jordan, when he tried out for his high school basketball team, was cut. Do you remember that? He didn't make it. So he had to do what? And he did it with the utmost of gusto. He practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. That's Aristotle. Michael Jordan practiced so that he perfected the art of dunking and shooting the basketball. Because practice makes you... This Aristotelian philosophical presupposition was imported into the church. That, okay, so when I, when I try to move from lower to higher to become like God, moving from a sinless state... to to be sinful and then to sinless. I have to practice. I have to work hard. And this is why in the Roman Catholic Church, and the medieval church, you have to practice what is called virtues. And now if you're picking this up, so what finally saves you? Faith alone in Jesus? Now? Jesus says, if you believe in me, you are saved. This is all throughout the Bible. You believe in me now, you're saved. There's no continuum. Salvation is not a process. Yeah, but I'm a sinner. Jesus says, you believe in me, you're saved. Okay, But Rome says, no. We're all for faith, but faith alone doesn't save because you've got to become like God and you've got to practice virtues to become like God. So it's faith plus and what's the biggest virtue? Love. So you're not saved until you you come up here. Finally then, I'm going way over time, you have to forgive me. So I I mentioned his name, Cardinal Avery Dulles. I've mentioned his name before, and I'm gonna do it again because it bears repeating. When he was asked by a Missouri senator, layman, Cardinal Dulles, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? His answer was, and remember, I'll have Alzheimer's, Robin will come to visit me in the nursing home, I'll have Alzheimer's and I'll still be yakking about this. Next week? Yeah, next week. (laughs) If you die tonight, Cardinal, will you go to heaven? Listen to his answer. His answer was, to say that I will go to heaven is presumptuous but I do know I will not go to hell why would he answer that because he's somewhere on the continuum and he doesn't know where he's at but he does he knows he won't go to hell he'll eventually get to heaven eventually when he becomes like God oh my goodness so uh, let's pray the Lord's Prayer and I'll bless you our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven